If you would open your Bibles to Genesis 2, 8 through 15, you can mark it in there. If you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs, it is page number 2, right at the very beginning. Um, If you would put a finger in there, we're going to go to that first. If you would also flip to the very end of the Bible, Revelation 21.4. If you're using the Bible that's in the chairs, it is page 1143. And again, if you don't have a Bible, you can just take that one with you and keep it. And then right in the middle, so Genesis 2, 8 through 15, Revelation 21.4. Genesis 2, 8 through 15, Revelation 21.4. And then we're going to go right about to the middle. Oh, we're going to be all over today. It's going to be fun. The very beginning, the very end, and right in the middle. You're going to forget these as I'm telling them to you. Just do your best. It'll be good. Uh, Then Jeremiah 2.13. So bend back right to the middle, Jeremiah 2.13. We're going to be in all of those sections of Scripture as we talk about Eden. So Genesis 2, starting in verse 8. Revelation 21, the very end, starting in verse 4. And then Jeremiah 2, verse 13. I want you to remember creation from last week. So just imagine with me, if you could even now, Lord, I just ask that you would help our minds, that that prefrontal cortex, right? Help with the fire well. Help us to envision, to see, to think long, deep, um, complex, and creative thoughts. God, even now, help our minds awaken them uh, in your wonderful name. So remember creation. Remember creation. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And imagine with me, if you can, to the best of your ability, just see it in your mind's eye, the creative process. So the first thing that he does is literally he becomes present in the unordered chaos, the nothingness, as the Hebrew people would call it. And on day one, he creates the systems, like the mechanisms, right? So it's like what we would maybe call today the cosmological constants. So the first thing he does in this unordered chaos, the nothingness, is he creates like time and gravity and electromagnetism and high and low nuclear, right? Like all of the boundary keepers for the universe get set in place. All of a sudden, the box is present, And then once he creates that, he moves to day number two, right? And he creates the splices in the waters or the firmament or what we might call even atmosphere and some of these created things that are bound by these rules, what we would call maybe cosmological constants. Then day number three, God then withdraws the waters and he lets the dry ground appear. Day number four, the vaults of the sky God places these new lights that are endowed with the ability that he brought into the nothingness, which is like to radiate energy and light. Ask me what that means. I have no idea. It's a a deep, it's a deep idea. It's a deep idea. Day number five, God puts fish in the water and birds in the air, and the way I always imagine it, and, and it's, it's been interesting. Man, I've been in school a long time, and I've studied the creation account many times over from many different authors and different commentators. Uh, I was even going back and uh, thumbing through writings on second century Jewish temple literature in the creative narrative, and it is interesting all the things that are there and how they try to unpack it. But I just want you to imagine with me, like, 
God, and the way I've talked about this last week, it's like God takes his hand and he reaches into the depths of the ocean. And as he pulls his fingers through the water, it's like orca. Salmon, delicious. Mahi, mahi. Okay, not as delicious. Schools of fish, right? All these things, just imagine them kind of coming out from behind his fingers. And then it's like he reaches his hands up into the sky. And as he waves his hand across the sky, just imagine this with me, right? Like, I I don't know how this exactly went down. But it's like birds of the air begin to just like come. They're flocking in the sky, you know, eagles and falcons and And then we move to the next day of creation and just see God like reaching his hands down into the dirt of the ground. And as he puts his hands into the dirt of the ground, he raises the dirt up and he begins to form it and you have animals. And then ultimately he puts his hands into the ground and he forms from the earth Adam, man. And then he breathes into this ordered dirt And humanity takes its first breath. And then we land on day seven as we continue the story this week. The seventh day, in a sense, is the goal of creation. Right? This is what everything was leading to. It's the grand crescendo. This is the moment, the goal of creation, in a sense, has kind of come into being. I love the way that it's stated by the Bible project. The rest of God, so the day of rest, is not rest in the sense that there is lack of activity. So um, think about your day off. On your day off from a really hard work week, you don't want things to literally all come to a stop. You don't want your heart to stop. You don't want Netflix to stop, right? You don't want your friendships to not work. What we mean by day of rest is literally everything operates As it should. That's the most restful, right? So on your day off, you want your body to work as it should. You don't want to be sick. On your day off, right, you want your friendships to work as they should. You want them to operate rightly. So when we say day of rest, we don't mean merely lack of activity. We mean everything is operating as it's intended to. And that word that the Hebrew people had, they gave it shalom, So shalom, peace, does not merely mean lack of activity or lack of war. It means everything is operating as it should. The seventh day is the goal of creation. The machine, in a sense, is on and it's operating in its ordered intention perfectly. Genesis 2, 8 through 15 was read earlier. Jess did a great job. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Again, as I read this, imagine it in your mind. Imagine this happening in your mind. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We will be talking a lot about that next week. A river flowed out of Eden to the water in the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedellum and onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. 
It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took man and put him in this unique little place, irrigated well, to work it and keep it. So there is work in the day of rest. All right, now I just want to pause for a moment. The ideal place for humanity. So some of us, you know, if if you grew up and you had kind of a secular view of Christian heaven, maybe you saw TV shows and it's like people die and they go up and they just like sit on a cloud with like a robe on and that's what we do for forever. That's not biblical at all. Right? The grand place where humanity is at its fullest, he has a job. But the beautiful thing is, the job works with him, not against him. How awesome would that be? A couple of things that we need to remember as we look at this concerning Eden. The first one is, Eden is a temple. It's the place where heaven meets earth. Uh, in fact, uh, Tim Mackey, he's one of the, the primary Bible scholar that helped kind of develop what we're using for the Bible reading plan for the year, the Bible project. And he does a great job laying out the design of Eden and the temple, the Hebrew temple. And now the Hebrew temple is actually built to mirror Eden. Eden, in a sense, is a temple. Now, the way I imagine it in my mind, uh, based on the text here, anybody here ever seen Lord of the Rings? Right, Lord of the Rings? All right, no, no, okay. The elves, like you go to like a Rivendell, and it's like this well-crafted, beautiful thing, but everything is natural, right? So you don't kill trees to build a house. The trees grow in a way in which it becomes a home or a house, you don't have to destroy the land to make it do what you want. You work with it. It's like Rivendell's this beautiful place where it is this castle in a sense, but it's all alive and living and producing. And I love the way Tolkien kind of wove in some of those biblical ideas. Eden is a temple. It's the place where heaven meets earth. It's literally the rightly designed, living, producing home for humanity. The next thing I think it's important for us to be aware of is Adam and Eve, in a sense, are priests. They are priests. They are called to represent God to all of creation. So they don't exist just to hoard and make for themselves. They are literally taking the creative energy of God and they are to become the creative agents in the world around them. This is really cool because what it means is you were created by God to be creative in this world. You are created to create. So the accountant, right? Like maybe you're a really great math guy and uh, you love Excel. And you're going, listen, I can't paint. I can't sing. I don't dance, whatever, right? Like, listen, you have a creative gift. When you look at that Excel form and you can make it do anything you want, that is a creative gift of God. All of us are created to create. In fact, let's do this together. I'm going to say, I'm created to create. I want you to say that with me. Here we go. Let's do this. I am created to create. You are. You're created to create. 
to use the uniqueness of God in the world around you. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, man, I try. I try to help work the finances out in my home. I try to help build an Excel form at the office. I try to help lead a team or a staff that I manage or oversee. I try to help, you know, take care of a lawn or paint or learn how to. Listen, I get it. We live in a fallen world. We'll talk about this next week where our energy, where we're using created to create, to work the land, to bring order to it, to subdue it. I get that the land is working against us. Everybody here online or sitting in these pews, you know what it's like to feel like you have a vision from God to bring beauty into this world, something unique. And it's like the moment you try to help make it happen, it feels like things are warring against you. Have you ever felt that? You're not wrong. It is warring against you. Not just is there an enemy, but there is literally a broken Adamic, not just the adamic, so like the natural sin, sin in us, that is affecting all of us in many complex ways. We'll talk about that more in the weeks to come. But you are created to create. You are priests called to be priests. The next thing that's important is this. Eden is the place, Eden is the place where each human, oh man. Eden is the place humans were literally made for. Okay, so I want to hit pause on this really quick. This is kind of a no-duh idea, but I want you to think about it. Um, You are continually dependent on the world around you. If I took food away, how long could a human survive? Maybe a month, a couple months, I don't know. If I took water away, how long could you survive? If I took air away, how long could you survive? Like, Everything about us. I mean, even like the gravity that helps hold us together. I watched a a terrifying, this is a number of years ago. I was watching a a terrifying thing. What would happen to the human body if it was in space? So like if you could step out of a spaceship and just go like into the vacuum of space, they were like, you know, you would would freeze and it would feel like you're burning and like your body wouldn't stay together because there's like no gravity helping hold it together. So it like begin to expand and a lot of terrible things. Listen, you are a hundred percent designed to be in constant need of a healthy world. And Eden is the place where you, human, Adam, man of the dust, the ordered dust, operating with God, you live right now in a place where the world is not operating in right rhythm. There's dissonance even between our needs even physically and how the world operates, it's broken. Eden is the place that you were made for, the place where it was all ordered rightly. It is hard to even imagine what that would be like. From eating food to knowing your life purpose, Eden is the place that you were designed for. Eden is the place where each human appetite is rightly understood and rightly satisfied. Okay, hang hang on again billions of moments of perfect satisfaction. I mean, every piece of fruit, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we'll talk about that later. But all around you, all the food, knowing what your purpose is, billions of moments of absolute satisfaction. God created you to need those moments, to want, to long for, to experience moments of satisfaction. In fact, humanity, as we were designed, you were made to have an appetite 
and to have that appetite fulfilled. And that moment, so like if you're really thirsty, you take a drink of water, right? Or if you are really hungry, you take a bite of a really good piece of food. I am, I'm a taco fan. Any other taco fans here? I love tacos, tacos, right? And, and Jorge, my man, introduced me to good tacos, good tacos. And there are good tacos and bad tacos now. And then you become a taco snob and you can't eat at other taco places. <laughs> Thanks, Jorge. Thanks, man. You taco snobbed me. But man, it's good when it's good and it's right. That moment where you bite into food or take a drink when you're thirsty and it feels so good. Listen, God designed humanity to have a forever billions, countless moments of, oh, wow, that was really good. Wrap your brain around that. That's what, if you've ever, John Piper years ago was writing about this. This is maybe 15, 20 years ago. And uh, he said, drink orange juice to the glory of God. He's like, when you take a drink of orange juice and it tastes really good, and you're like, wow, that's delicious. God designs those moments from hiking in the mountains and looking at the, the landscape to picking up your little baby with a newborn and going, oh my gosh, this is so great. To taking a bite of food and it tasting good. To love that's felt within a healthy marriage. God designed billions and billions of moments of, oh, that's good. And that's what humanity was made for. Let's contrast that with our world today for a moment. Now, I know today is not the fall. We're going to talk about the fall next week. But just a little precursor. Let's be honest about where we are. Today, billions of appetites are unsatisfied and confused. Are they not? I mean, in our world today, what we actually have are billions of creatures trying to alleviate their hungers in twisted ways. This is happening all around us. It's happening even to you. There are even people right now in the early church. You guys are the ones that are willing to get up early and come to church. But even you have twisted views of some of your appetites of security or satisfaction or love or purpose or whatever it might be. Even you, even us, the world, because of what we're around and what we watch and the TV shows that we consume and the songs that we listen to. Listen, they are twisting not only our ability to be satisfied, they're twisting our ability to even understand the appetite rightly. We're going to talk more about that next week with the fall. But a quick precursor, it's important for us to know, uh, ask the question, what happened? Clearly, we have appetites that we don't understand, that we're trying to satisfy in wrong and unhealthy ways. Clearly, people go hungry today. Clearly, people steal today. Clearly, people kill, destroy, and hoard. All of these things happen today. Our appetites have gone awry. Something has broken. What happened? What happened? A liar came on the scene. And we're going to go into way more depth next week. 
but let me lay this out. A being showed up, a being who wanted, a being who wanted, who wants us to go hungry. He wants us to go hungry. He wants the appetites unsatisfied in every sense of the word, from sexuality to food to purpose to love. The enemy wants us to live in the state of hunger without the satisfaction. He wants us to live starving. A being who wants us to go hungry in every sense of the word. And and how does he do this? He wants us to go hungry by convincing us that we understand our desires and know how to satisfy them better than God. So the first lie, and again, we're going to talk way more about this next week. The first lie literally is trust your own version of what is good and should satisfy. You define your own version of what is satisfaction for purpose, satisfaction for meaning, satisfaction for identity. You define what's your definition of satisfaction for sex, for satisfaction. You do it. Of course, we will dive into this next week in way more detail. Our appetites confused and twisted and what's happened For all that feel this starvation, okay, and, and this, this, is, this is you, this is me, this is us. You go through moments where you feel the starving more than others. You go through moments where you feel the loneliness so much more than others. You go through moments where you feel your body not operating as it should. Right, like I, I, even now, I'm in my early 40s. I talked about this before, but now I work out with my son and I lift weights with my kids. And and listen, things aren't healing as fast as they did before. And I talked to my dad about it and he's like, it's just going to get way worse. (laughs) Thanks, dad. You know, we all feel that starvation in different ways in the world today. And the beauty of this, and again, we're jumping way forward now. We're not going to really detail this out for months to come. But God is going to invite you back into his garden through the work of Jesus. He makes a gateway to appetites perfectly satisfied again. There is a way back. Revelation 21.4, so jump all the way to the end. We talked about that. I'm going to invite Josh up. I just want to give us a glimpse. So again, when, when as, a, as a theology guy, uh, I, probably one of the greatest compliments, and I'm, I, I don't think I deserve it. I was talking with one of Noah's professors, uh, theology professors, and he was like, I'm glad we need more pastor theologians. I think all he meant was I've sat in a classroom for a long time. Uh, But when theologians talk about heaven, okay, I just want to get this really clear. When theologians talk about heaven, in a sense, they're talking about the recreation of an Eden. So in us, we equally miss an Eden and we long for a heaven, which is literally just this appetite that we have a hard time, like the the grand meta perspective of our appetites. We have a hard time kind of identifying what that is. It's like things aren't right. 
I mean every angry protest march from either political side is a screaming of the human soul, things aren't right. Even if you disagree with the protests that are happening, the people feel the emptiness and brokenness. Even if you agree with the protests that are happening, people feel the emptiness and brokenness. And something inside of every one of us longs, we long to be back in an Eden where everything is operating rightly. We long, we miss an Eden and we long for a heaven. And Christ is the way. Christ is the way. So I would say this to everybody out there who feels like things are off. You're right. I was talking with a police officer uh, just maybe about a year ago. Doesn't attend our church, and, uh, but he, he knows I'm a pastor, and he was just talking about the terrible things that he's seen over the years. And I'm not entirely sure where he's at in his faith. Um, but I, I looked at him, and I was like, you know, there is an evil you're not making up that desire, that hatred, the anger, the, the displacement, the dislike of the disordered world. There is an evil. And there is an answer. Jeremiah 2.13 now we're in the middle of the Bible. See, we went very beginning, very end. We're going to kind of fall in the middle here. Jeremiah. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. What is, what is the thing that we're doing wrong? We look at the hands that designed us and we say, you don't know what I need. I know what I need. I'm going to make my own cisterns, my own wells, my own version of how to satisfy everything from purpose to sex. I'm going to do it on my own is what humanity says. And these cisterns, these things that we create, what are they? They are broken. They hold no water. They leave us even hungrier. And so the end, Revelation 21.4, right? I know back and forth, back and forth. Revelation 21.4. For those that submit to God as the definer, the orderer of appetites, the satisfaction of what is good, he gets to define it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, right? So it's Eden again. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. This is the end of our human story. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold the dwelling place, notice the language, it's Eden. 
The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And this is one of my favorite verses. I've cried over this verse many times over. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. God, please. So what do we do while we wait? If you would grab the next steps card, they're in the back of the chair in front of you. What do we do while we wait as Christian? Well, if you're not a believer and you still are walking in the assumption that you are the definer of what is right and good, your first step is to submit to God. That's it. You need to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to choose to trust the hands that made you over hands that were made and are very limited in insight and understanding. First thing is to trust in the Lord. But pull out the next steps cards. Get them out, get them out, get them out. I just want you to think. I want you to think. I want you to reflect. Get them out. Make it look like you're doing something. I'll wait for you. It's good. I know early service. You guys are the passionate Christians. That's great. You can still grow. We're all growing for forever. A couple thoughts as I... Let us be aware of the dissonance. As I help you become aware of the dissonance. Number one, every time you take into your own hands the definition of what is right and good, you resist God's garden. So when you read the Bible and you're like, I love the Bible, except what it teaches about money. At that moment, you now, in a sense, make yourself God of the Bible. You lower the word of God as a director in your life. If you read through the Bible, you come across what it teaches about sexuality. And you're like, I love the Bible and it's a good advice book, but I'm not going to listen to that part of it. In a sense, you see, you see what you do? You take yourself and you make it higher than the Bible. The moment you do that, I trust in myself over what God says. That's plucking of the apple. It not really, it probably wasn't an actual apple in the garden, but of the fruit. Every time you take into your own hands the definition of what is right and good, you resist God's garden. His definition is the primary compass until it becomes our desire, which we'll talk more about that because our desires do change. The second thing I would say is this. Every time you satisfy your desires in ways that don't belong to the heart of God, you reject God's garden. And then, and then the last question I have for you is just this. And, and I want you to think about this on your card. Is there... an appetite you are trying to satisfy in ways that don't honor God. And just let the Spirit speak to you. Purpose, security, money, sexuality, Thank you. 
generosity versus hoarding? Is there an appetite you are trying to satisfy in ways that don't honor God? And, and, and that's, I have, an, I have another question, but it's actually just another way to look at that question. Okay, so bear with me. And this is what I want you to write on the card. What is God speaking into your heart about your unmet appetites? What is God speaking into your heart about your unmet appetites? What is God speaking into your heart about your unmet appetites? Just take some time and write. Keep writing. I'm going to pray over you as you do. Lord, in your name, I ask that you would do what only you can do, even in this moment, that you would illuminate things in our heart that maybe you want us to lay before you or to offer to you or to trust you with. God, increase our awareness of you that we might trust in you more. Help us to see that you are good and that you want Eden for us. We just have to trust you. And if there's somebody today, either watching online, listening on the podcast, um, or even sitting in this room that has not made you their Lord and Savior, let today be the day that they set their pace towards Eden again. In your name, take some time and just write, what is God speaking into your heart? Go, hey, I love you, and I love that I get to be your pastor. Take some time and write, what's God speaking into your heart? Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital next steps card at encountertrinity.com slash next steps.